our trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Oh, man, you take a look at my show notes today and you're going to say, did he have a couple of days off? Because there's an awful lot of information here, and it's true. I guess over the Thanksgiving holiday, I I, I had a lot to say. What can I say? <laughs> there's a lot of great information that I'm happy to share with you in the show today. And our program is brought to you by great sponsors like GarageDoorProServices.com, LifesavingFood.com, MonticelloCollege.org, and HSLAmmo.com. All right, got to take a deep breath. Okay, there is there is so much going on here. And just a, just a couple of quick things. I don't know if you're keeping track of some of the stuff going on in China, but uh, that looks like pretty much the biggest uprising that I have seen in China in, uh, well, since Tiananmen Square back in 1989. Don't know where it's leading, don't know what it's going to do, but the crazy thing is it's, it's over COVID. It's over the COVID lockdowns. And if the Chinese are finally reaching the breaking point to where they are ready to push back against their government, wow, that could set some very interesting things into motion. So we'll talk a little bit about that as as we continue. But I wanted to share with you, and unfortunately, this one is not going to be in today's show notes. I apologize, but uh, maybe I'll, I'll put this in the show notes a little bit later this week. Got a great article from Paul Rosenberg and it's, it's so good, I just couldn't wait to share it. Normally, I'd be like, oh, wait a couple days, and we'll throw it in the show. No, this one, this one comes right up to the front of the line, and, and I'm going to share it with you now. It's called Our Moral Obsession, and he makes so much sense here. He says, humans are moral obsessives. Anywhere you go, you'll find people speaking in moral terms. You'll hear phrases like, he didn't treat me right. Or she's arrogant, that's a man you can respect, and so on. All of these are moral judgments. In fact, even confirmed criminals will routinely say things like, that ain't right, which again is a purely moral judgment. On top of that, moral judgments vary fairly little between individuals. Now, there are exceptions, of course, but he says nearly all of us will agree on the majority of moral judgments staying close to the model of the golden rule. Academic ethics are incomprehensible, and those lifeboat scenarios are just distractions. Paul Rosenberg says both fail to illuminate much while clouding what's actually useful. So most of us listen to them for a moment, then go back to, well, he wouldn't like it if I did that to him. He says this obsession of ours holds firm across almost the whole of human life. Examine any workplace, and you'll find a long stream of moral judgments. Examine any home. And you'll find a long string of moral judgments. So, what's the problem? Well, he says, given that nearly everyone is a moral obsessive, and given that we all refer, more or less, to the golden rule as a point of reference, how come there's so much immorality in the world? Well, the answer is that there really isn't. I know, it made me sit back and go, what? He says, first of all, people focus hard on the things that are wrong, but massively ignore the things that go right. When driving, for example, they flatly ignore hundreds of reasonable drivers and expend their venom on the one bad driver. And the fact is that 90% of everyday life is morally acceptable. 
Secondly, people often tie morality to dogma. They describe deviations from their political or religious doctrines as immoral, even when they're not substantial violations of the golden rule. Political and religious dogmas shouldn't be confused with morality. So, while there are always moral failings, there aren't nearly, they aren't nearly as many as advertised. And the real problem, he says, with human morality is that it's simply wasted, is simply, rather, it's focused on, it's focused every which way, which, to put it simply, is scattered and wasted. Now, Paul Rosenberg says the internal energies of a mainstream couple, for example, are almost fully directed away from any effective use. They devote their moral strength to whatever terror, real or imagined, is on the news that day, or to a sports team, or to hating a political party, and so on. All of these are wastes of moral energy. Now, the good news is we can easily turn this around. Paul Rosenberg says we've been expending oceans of moral energy to very little positive effect, but it doesn't have to stay that way. He says we could, if we wanted, focus our energies to create improvements in the world. Yeah, really, we could. And he says at some point, people will. And then he goes on to say, I think that should be us, and it requires just one thing of us. This is what really made me put this one at the head of the line today. We must focus on what we want instead of what we fear. It's really that simple. Although simple and easy are not always the same thing. In particular, it requires us to give up on gathering all the bad news in the world. Doing that leaves us with this giant lump of darkness filling, filling our field of view, which negates our forward momentum. So some generation is going to walk away from this negativity mania, and it may as well be ours. Now, he says there could be endless quibbles and distractions from this point. Changing our focus would threaten everything from emotional crutches to nation-state power. And so all of them will fight against it. But he says, I'm not going to waste time on those things today. Rather, I'll say this. If we focus on the things we want instead of what we fear, it will only be a short time before we start getting them. By changing our moral focus from dark to light, focusing our imaginations on what we love instead of what we hate, we will renovate ourselves beginning immediately and the world shortly thereafter. And again, some generation is going to see how reasonable this is and how retrograde the old way was. So it may as well be ours. Ooh, that's good advice. And, and I have to say this with the understanding. I know what, uh, what I'm focusing on. In fact, I looked at my show notes today and went, okay, that's negative. That's negative. Oh, there's a, there's a light in the dark there, but a lot of what I'm focusing on, unfortunately, there's, there's a lot of negative. And I am going to share a, f- a couple of those articles with you. So yes, be warned. Uh, there, there are some, there's some interesting and kind of scary things on the horizon that I am going to be talking about, but I, I just resonated so strongly with what Paul Rosenberg is saying here. And to give some context as to why that might be, we had a really special weekend as a family. And it was uh, a weekend where not just, you know, getting together for Thanksgiving, but uh, earlier this year, uh, we adopted our son, Robert, and, uh, you know, we've had him for 16 years. We got him when he was six months old, picked him up on Christmas Day and and brought him home. We were first his guardians, and uh, we have raised him from the time he was a very, very small child. We always have wanted to adopt him, but uh, it reached a point where it really needed to be his decision. Do you want to be adopted? I mean, do you want to be part of this crazy family or not? And a couple of years ago, he came to us and said, I think it's time. I want to be adopted. And it took a little bit of time to get all of the legal things worked out. You know, there 
there were uh, parental rights that had to be relinquished and there were um, there were just some hoops that had to be jumped through. But we got that accomplished earlier this year. And on Friday of last week, we had the opportunity to to take him to uh, to one of the temples of our church and and be sealed to him. Now, most people aren't going to understand this, but um, let's just say in a in a spiritual and religious sense, this absolutely finalized him becoming a part of our family. This this is not just uh, yep, you'll be ours until you're 18 and then you're on your own. This is like an eternal commitment to him. And so it's 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 pretty powerful stuff. But I just I looked around as we were sitting there and I looked at all the faces of of loved ones, you know, sitting there in that room with us. And it just really brought home how much beauty and how much positivity there is in the world. Now, of course, when we got back outside, the wind was blowing. It was cold as all get out. And we all sat there and complained, you know, as we took some pictures. And, you know, it was it was really, really cold. But I think Paul Rosenberg has the right idea. You focus on the things you want instead of what you fear. And it's just a short time before you start getting them. So I'm, I'm just going to issue this little challenge, not just for you, but also for me. As we move forward, as things get more challenging and as different difficulties arise, try to look for the things that are going right. I know it's hard to do, right? News, newspapers and television news shows, fact, in fact, most all of the news that we see, seldom is about, well, eh, this went well. <laughs> it's usually, nope, this is what went wrong. And here's the blood and here's the crime scene tape to show you just how wrong everything was. And if that's where our focus is, if, if we're primarily focused on the worst things that people are either doing or saying to one another, I guess it's pretty understandable. We'd have a very negative viewpoint. So I'm committing to you. I'm going to do my best to try to break out of that, uh, that negativity. I try to balance this. If you've been a longtime listener to this show, you know, I try, I try to balance, you know, the bad news with, with good news. But this really resonated Focus on what you want instead of what you fear and see if the world doesn't change, at least right there where you happen to be standing. Is it going to solve all the problems in the world? Of course not. But if it's solving some of them, is that not progress? Is that not something that we can at least feel good and appreciative about? I know, pretty early in the day to be hitting this kind of uh, heavy philosophical stuff, but here we are. All right, if you've made it this far, stick with me. We've got some great stuff to share coming up in the next couple of segments. We'll be right back. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just want to mention GarageDoorProServices.com. This is one of my sponsors. They serve the St. George, Utah, Cedar City, Utah, Mesquite, Nevada, Colorado City, Arizona areas. And this is where you can get installation, service, and repair of garage doors. Oh, I know it's no big deal until you actually need it. But when you do, this is the name you need to remember, and that is Garage Door Pros. You can go to garagedoorproservices.com. You can also pick up the phone and call them at 435-525-2773. What can you expect? Well, garage doors made in America, because that counts. 
quick response, much faster lead time than other companies can give you, and of course, commercial service as well as residential services. So, garagedoorproservices.com. Again, tell them thanks for being a sponsor. I greatly appreciate it, and I think you'll appreciate them. So, uh, shall we dive into one of those topics that might be just a little bit uncomfortable? I say uncomfortable because it deals with money. And if you've ever lain awake at night, oh man, you know, (laughs) I'm stressed about money. I'm stressed about, am I going to have enough? What's happening to my money? Look, um, I think most of us are feeling it right now. Uh, My wife and I were having this conversation over the weekend about, uh, you know, inflation has really started to be felt in our pocketbook. Things that we took for granted, you know, things that, oh, well, you know, it's pretty easy. We want to, you know, we want to go grab pizza or something for the kids. We have to stop and think about this now. Is this is this a wise expenditure or is it something that we should put off? Are there other things that are more important? I know we're not the only ones feeling this. And and so when you're concerned about money things, and in particular, you know, do I have enough money? Is my money being, you know, uh, inflated away to where it doesn't, uh, doesn't buy as much as it used to? Those are very real concerns. But there's an even bigger money concern And uh, I actually had this conversation with Bill, one of my listeners, over the weekend. And that is, what do we do when we are faced with the reality that a digital currency is coming? In other words, uh, there's a plan to impose a cashless society. It's quietly being put into place. But uh, it's coming faster than you think. And there can be no doubt, if you were paying any attention whatsoever to what took place during the COVID pandemic and the way that uh, that power was was asserted and control was gained over so many aspects of your life, there can be no doubt that a digital currency will be a tool of control. So I've got an article here from Jay Kim. This was shared on uh, zerohedge.com. The title, No Bank Account is Safe in 2023, Traditional or Otherwise. Now, I'm not sharing this with you to alarm you or to, to give you, you know, a peptic ulcer. This is a reality that you and I are going to have to face sooner or later. Because if we wait, if we just allow ourselves to remain in the system and, well, I'll figure some way around it, you're not. The system is being constructed to, con- to control you as much as possible. From the carbon that you consume to the... Uh, you know, to, to the, the kind of political views that you hold. That's the danger that is approaching in the form of a cashless society. Now, the, the title there, No Bank Account is Safe, was actually the literal title of a video that J. Kim posted more than nine and a half years ago, back in 2013, when Google employees weren't yet capping, capping his following, her follower, I'm sorry, his follower numbers and shadow banning all the videos posted. And although many have forgotten about the money stolen from depositors from Leica Bank and the Bank of Cyprus, the bank-owned mass media comically and immorally reported these as a haircut instead of the straight-up theft that it was. Do you, do you remember this? Taking the money of pensioners, taking people's retirement funds? Well, uh, you know, your government needs this. I remember. But, you know, 10 years ago is a long time. It's easy to forget these kind of things. Even the final terms of this theft were opaque and less transparent as media outlets reported the final theft at anywhere between 40 and 80 percent of all deposits in these banks that exceeded $100,000 in deposits. So Jay Kim says, in response to this massive theft, 
as I've never paid 80% of my savings account to receive a haircut, most people responded with apathy and with, ah, it won't happen to me syndrome. Though I explicitly stated that the 2013 fiasco in Cyprus was just the beginning of people being Cyprused over and over and over in the coming decade. And surely each succeeding cyber exchange, crypto exchange bankruptcy, seemingly outpaces the last one in the breadth of its implosion crater and the number of people caught inside its implosion radius. So in addition to the multi-billion dollar collapse of the FTX cryptocurrency exchange this month, which in which clients appear poised to lose billions of dollars, other notable cryptocurrency exchange collapses include the 2014 Mount Gox Tokyo-based exchange, the 2019 collapse of the largest Canadian crypto exchange at the time, Quadriga CX, which he extensively covered at the time, and this year's collapse of the Voyager Digital Exchange, as well as the subsequent collapse of the Celsius Lending Platform, and of course the aforementioned collapse of the FTX Exchange. Now, Jay Kim says, in all the more recent cases, Voyager, Digital, Celsius, and FTX, each time celebrity endorsers from Mark Cuban to investment finance YouTube influencers gave their mark of approval to each of these platforms, leading millions to believe that such platforms were safe places on which to park their money prior to their collapses. He says, however, as I'm one that has always stressed personal accountability for all investment decisions and has raged against blind compliance to any analyst's guidance as patently stupid, I can't place all the blame at the feet of YouTubers or finance YouTubers for the massive losses suffered by lazy people that take their investment cues from them. Is it sleazy and unethical for these finance YouTubers to have so relentlessly promoted exchanges on their channels in return for alleged payouts of millions of dollars a year from these exchanges to do so? Well, of course. Doing so is the exact definition of selling your soul and honor. However, does some blame lie with those that blindly follow these YouTubers without performing any due diligence on any of these exchanges before parking large sums of money on them? Absolutely. He says, though I called out Mark Cuban as a complete fraudster for consummating a deal with the Voyager Digital Exchange that caused him to relentlessly promote Voyager to all fans of his Dallas Mavericks basketball team, I'm sure very few people heeded my warnings. However, he says, people must accept some personal accountability for the decisions they make as well. As a result of our zero accountability society, He says, I recall one year when I was still running my investment research firm that I produced an asset allocation model every month that provided a specific weighting for every asset included in my asset allocation model, along with exact buy and exit prices. In 2008, when the U.S. stock market crashed by almost 50% and the S&P 500 index ironically bottomed at the 666 mark during the uh, during Q12009, despite 50% losses in the overall market. He says, I actually kept all my clients positive that year and followed a nominally positive yield in 2008 during a 50% market crash by the provision of an enormous amount of annual, an enormous annual yield of more than 63% in 2009. I think he's flexing a little bit here, but we'll, we'll move on from there. However, he says, unbelievably in 2008, one of my clients wrote me a blistering email blaming me for his 50% losses because he chose not to follow my asset allocation model that remained positive that year, but instead chose to follow the advice of his Wall Street advisor into a diversified asset allocation model completely against the guidance of my asset allocation model that was concentrated in just a handful of assets. 
This man was the poster child for the zero accountability generation, blaming someone else for decisions one makes that causes a negative outcome while taking zero responsibility for ignoring guidance that would have produced a positive outcome, or described in more appropriate terms, complete cowardice. I'm going to come back to Jay Kim's article here in a moment because there's a warning about what happened to the people in Cyprus and what could be happening to you and me if we don't pay attention. I know some people are going to take exception here and say, Brian, this sounds like you're just railing against the banks. Well, I guess in a sense... Yes, (laughs) that could be seen as such. But it's more like the financial system itself is rapidly becoming a trap of sorts. And I know you got to be a part of it if you want to be, you know, part of society. But what if that includes enslaving yourself? Do you still need to be a part? This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm sharing an article here from uh, Jay Kim. This was uh, republished on ZeroHedge.com over the weekend. The title is No Bank Account Will Be Safe in 2023, Traditional or Otherwise. Now, he gets into a lot of details about investing and allocation of assets and so forth. But the thing to remember, the thing he brings up right at the beginning is... Not quite 10 years ago, the banks in Cyprus stole money from their depositors, meaning the money in the bank, you thought it was yours, but when the government needed it, it just simply ordered the banks to seize it. And the question that you and I need to be asking ourselves is, could that happen again? I know that we're, we're, you know, I'm not trying to destroy your confidence in your hometown bank. But if it's part of the current central banking system, you have some decisions to make. And especially with a digital currency looming, a cashless society looming, the ability to reach into your bank account, whether it's whether they take it in the form of taxation, see, then it's not really theft, is it, right? We just took it from you, but oh, because it was done by somebody in an official position, why, we just call it taxation and it's all good and proper. Yeah, that still seems pretty fishy. But what do you do in an instance like that? What do you do if there's such a thing as, uh, for instance, negative interest rates, meaning you need to spend your money or it loses value by the end of the month? I know this sounds like the stuff of some kind of paranoid fantasy, but this is what is approaching. Jay Kim says a decade later and billions more lost with cryptocurrency firms cypressing their clients. I still see plenty of people today laughing at the naivete of those who dumped the bulk of their savings into crypto and park them with crypto exchanges run by shady characters. Yet believing very falsely that their deposits parked in traditional banks are a thousand times safer. Many traditional bank depositors make the massive mistake of believing that traditional banks are completely safe due to offered insurance on these accounts, such as offered Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, or FDIC, insurance of up to $250,000 per bank account in the United States. And the same mistake applies to all those who believe their money is safe in European banks or whatever continent in which you choose to park the bulk of your life savings. Now, his point here is that FDIC insurance is completely meaningless. 
Nothing more than an IOU. So he says, I'm not going to rehash that argument for the sake of avoiding redundancy. However, I will offer a comparison on the lack of safety deposits parked in traditional banks to the lack of safety deposits parked on on cryptocurrency exchanges. One of the latest dominoes in the chain of falling, uh, failing rather, uh, cryptocurrency exchange dominoes has been to has been to be exposed has been the Genesis cryptocurrency exchange. Early in November, Genesis suspended all withdrawal requests from its exchange. Well, that's a curious thing. Chief Executive Officer Dirar Islam admitted that withdrawal requests had exceeded Genesis liquidity positions, thereby making it impossible for Genesis to honor all withdrawal requests in a timely manner. Now, you understand, of course, this is the same thing that would happen with a traditional bank if everybody said, hey, I want my money out, I want it in cash. No global commercial bank has ever experienced a situation in which its depositors ever tried to withdraw 10% of cumulative deposits parked at the bank on a single day. But if it happened, that bank would be forced to suspend all withdrawals. Frankly, he says most commercial banks run their global run their deposit operations in such a massively risky manner that today, even a single-day client request to withdraw 5% of all cumulative deposits would likely trigger a liquidity crisis at every single large global commercial bank. So he says, in reality, fiat deposits are no safer in a large U.S. bank subject to the same run on deposits than any investor's crypto deposits are with any of these large crypto exchanges, regulated or not. That's the point. People equate regulated with safety, which is quite naive, given the fact that regulated Cyprus banks stole more than half the money deposited in their banks in 2013. But the true difference in safety comes only from the perception that traditional bank accounts are are somehow much safer, making them less likely to be subject to a bank run. But the proof is in the actual outcome of a bank run. And frankly, there would be little difference in the fact that liquidity would dry up quickly during bank runs runs on a cryptocurrency bank account or on a traditional bank account. Something to think about. Now, he does talk about the solutions and and conclusions here, but uh, one of the things he points out is if... uh, He says, uh, don't fall victim to the mainstream narrative that most cryptocurrency exchanges are a very risky place in which to park your money, while global banks, due to their nature of being regulated, are somehow not. Global banks are run by executives of extremely questionable character that take massive risks with your deposited money, as do cryptocurrency exchanges. And run big global and run big global banks today with more similarities to he, to a hedge fund than as a corporation assigned with the mission of safekeeping its depositors' money. He also says most people are completely oblivious to the power of the banking lobby, which has lobbied to change past laws that protected bank clients to the point that they can run amok with no threat of jail time from the execution of dubious behavior the consequences of which rears its ugly head from time to time. As happened in 2008, such behavior will once again be exposed for the world to see in the future very soon, with very negative consequences once again for unfortunate depositors that do not heed these warnings. Now, there's another article I'm including in today's show notes that uh, talks about uh, the plan to implement a cashless society. And look, I'm not trying to steer you in any any particular direction because, look, I don't have the answers. I do see the danger that's coming, and the danger is that you won't be in control of your wealth. If your wealth consists of, well, I've got money in the bank, 
keep in mind what that really represents. That, that it's electrons on somebody's computer or it's a notation on a financial ledger somewhere, but it's not actual controllable property. And you can very easily be locked out of it. And of course, with, with the central bank digital currency, CBDC, part of the idea is there will be you know social credit scores attached to your money. Meaning if you want to access it, well, I see you bought meat last week, but uh, that exceeds the amount of meat that uh, you're allowed to buy under these, uh, you know, social credit conditions. It's a perfect mechanism of control. I think I heard the term electronic fascism, uh, man, close to 30 some years ago. The idea that uh, you can be controlled through your money. So if you have your life savings sitting in the bank, if you're wondering, well, what can I do, you know, to protect myself so I'm not, you know, at the, at the beck and call of the people who control these banking systems, you're going to have to start making some alternative plans. And again, I don't know what that is. You know, there are plenty of people out there, well, buy gold, buy silver, buy property, buy tools. I do believe that there's something wise to the idea of having tangible assets Basically, if you can put your hands on it, you know, then, then it's yours. But you look at what happened with the, the Canadian trucker protest earlier this year. How quickly were their bank accounts frozen? How quickly were they locked out of their own funds and unable to make a living or unable to pay their bills, right? Think how much easier that would be with a centrally controlled digital currency. It would be far too easy, way easier than most people think. And I get it. Some people are already shaking their heads. Come, Brian, you're, you're down the rabbit hole. This just sounds like conspiracy stuff. It's not going to be sold to you as a means of control. It is going to be sold to us as convenience. Oh, but look at this. You don't have to worry about carrying cash anymore. Nobody's going to be able to rob you. Why, we'll have biometric identifiers and make sure that only you can access your you know, financial account. But you have to think a little bit further up the, uh, you know, <clears throat> chain of authority, if you will. Who gets to call the, the decisions as to under what conditions will this person be allowed to access their money? What rate will they be taxed? Is this person a dissenter? Well, what if we just uh, create an extra, you know, 20% tax rate for people who dissent? People who aren't in enough uh, compliance with, with what the people in authority would like to see. I know it sounds like, you know, wow, Brian, this, you just what a flight of fancy. But after what we saw over the last three years, can you honestly say that that's out of the realm of possibility? Because it sure seems to me human nature has been confirmed that, yep, people will go there. So talk with somebody who you trust, who, who understands money, who understands investment, who understands wealth. By the way, you might want to keep in mind that one of the great definitions of wealth is that's what remains when the cash stops flowing. So what, whatever you want to do to, to, to measure your wealth, take a look around you and say, what could I keep? What would still be mine if my flow of cash were to stop today? Now, if you're living in a very leveraged, you know, debt-ridden kind of uh, household, the answer might be you're not going to have very much to your name. The good news is there's stuff we can do about that. 
like getting out of debt, acquiring assets that are tangible, and of course, learning more about the monetary system. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. If you would like to subscribe to my show notes, just jump on my website at thebrianhydeshow.com and you'll see a big subscribe button right at the bottom of the show notes. Just click on any day's show notes and there it is. Subscribe. It'll ask you for your email. I will not share or give or sell your email to anybody. Stays between you and me, but it uh, be a great chance to uh, catch up on some great reading and hopefully some some information that will provide illumination as to what's going on around us. Also, you'll get acquainted with some of my sponsors, including HSLAmmo.com, MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, and GarageDoorProServices.com. All right, three quick articles I want to touch on in the the few minutes that I have here. Uh, Number one, the growing drumbeat of climate crisis is being used as cover for the implementation of a planned economy. And you better believe it. When, when the, when the uh, climate activists themselves are coming out and saying it, you need to recognize that climate change is being used as a crisis, right? That's to get us in that state of fear. <gasps> crisis! So that uh, they can bring in greater and greater collectivist control. Got an article here from the Foundation for Economic Education by Dr. Rainer Zeidelman. Very worth your time. And again, you're, you're hearing a lot about climate change and, well, we've got to do something. But, you know, some of the some of the proposals that, uh, that the climate movement is, is trying to, to put in place are they want to radically expand the commons. That means state owned property and resources. They want to introduce a carefully planned economy. You know, planned economies, centrally planned economies, that is the hallmark of socialism, and other forms of collectivism, to change pretty much everything about our economy, to introduce new taxes, new public works programs, reversals of privatizations, extinction for the richest, most powerful industry the world has ever known, the oil and gas industry. Never mind that we don't have something to take its place at this point. We're going to get rid of it. Then we'll figure out what to do. Government guidelines on how often we drive, how often we fly, whether our food has to be flown to get to us or whether the goods we buy are built to last, how large our homes are. Oh, yeah, man, I trust politicians and bureaucrats to make those decisions. A fundamental reordering of the component parts of the gross domestic product. Less private investment in producing for excessive consumption. Increased government spending. Oh, who gets to pay that back, by the way? Yes, yes. And a great deal more redistribution. That sounds pretty collectivist, all right. And this is the climate activists themselves admitting it. You just have to read what they write. You have to listen to what activists like even little Greta Thunberg are saying. Not a good idea. Not if you value your freedom. Not if you value your prosperity. All right, moving on. Here's another one. This this one blew my mind. I've heard the rumors uh, lately. And in fact, I've seen a couple of articles that uh, that have pointed out that uh, the vaxxed, the vaccinated, are the ones who are now dying in greater numbers than ever. 
I'm talking COVID vaccination. But this headline, new study blames vaxxed deaths on the unvaxxed because they cause anxiety. Seriously. This is from Kit Knightley on OffGuardian.org. And Kit says, look, I mean, the headline says it all. A study published in, the, in August in the, bio, in the Journal of Biomedicine, rather, actually claims in its abstract, quote, fear-mongering and misinformation being peddled by people with no scientific training to terrorize people into staying unvaccinated is not just causing people to remain susceptible to viral outbreaks, but could also be causing more side effects seen in the vaccination process. This brief review will offer data that may demonstrate that misinformation perpetuated by the anti-vaccination movement may be causing more deaths and side effects from any vaccine. End quote. Did you get that? Apparently all these people dropping dead of heart attacks and strokes are being stressed into us into it rather by us anti-vaxxers warning them about heart attacks and strokes. Now if you're thinking that that's the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard, Kit Knightley says, "Well, you're wrong." He's done the research. Quote, a mini, re- a mini review of published literature has been conducted and found that mental stress clearly causes vasoconstriction and arterial constriction of the blood vessels. Therefore, if subjects are panicked, concerned, stressed, or scared of the vaccination, their arteries will constrict and become smaller in and around the time of receiving the vaccine. End quote. So, they're not dying because the vaccine gave them a heart attack. They're dying because they were afraid it might. Brilliant logic. And sound arguments for taking warnings off cigarettes and all the anti-alcohol ads off TV. I mean, think how many people died of alcohol-related heart problems because they were scared of alcohol. Yeah. Kit says, you don't need to tell me how absurd this is. By far the most ridiculous explanation for vaccine-caused heart attacks yet, and that includes high-energy bills and post-pandemic stress disorder. Kid says it's been a couple of rough years for the science, but this is a new low. I have to admit, that's that's pretty wild. And they're still beating the drum. Fauci's still out there beating the drum, even though he's supposed to fade off into the sunset. Get those boosters, get the vaccine. You know, if look, some people are at risk. Some people may actually be in a high enough risk category. It would be worth it to do so. If you're a reasonably healthy person, though, though, you should probably give some serious thought and and do your diligence to decide if it's worth it or not the fact that it's being pushed so hard and that you know these these sudden deaths why the elephant in the room nobody wants to acknowledge you know that this is being blamed on the unvaccinated making other people nervous that just reeks of desperation all right one final note this is an article from james howard kunstler a light in the darkness And it has to do with Elon Musk taking over Twitter. Now, I've seen a number of people say, well, you know, Twitter's not really a free speech platform and, you know, try to apologize and say that it's it's not that big of a deal. But something that is happening on Twitter and and, uh, James Howard Kunstler zeroes in on this is that we are seeing the people who really want to suppress speech being revealed for who they are. Kunzler says the really stunning thing about Elon Musk's campaign to clean up the backstage rat's nest at Twitter is that he's the lone authority figure in the land who dared to act against the degenerate political left's impudent, remorseless cancellation of everything that held together America's consensual reality. 
Think of it. All the college presidents and deans, all the corporate CEOs, all the judges, all the mayors, governors, and agency heads, all the news editors and network producers who did nothing and said nothing about the wholesale demolition of truths, values, and principles carried out by the woke Jacobin maniacs under their watch. And what's more appalling? They all pretended not to notice each other's craven inaction and silence. And now, Mr. Musk strikes a blow almost every day and with amazing insouciance, as if his effort to reignite free speech is the most self-evidently natural thing anyone in charge might seek to do. And let's face it, whatever Twitter started out as, however seemingly trivial this internet app for social chit-chat was conceived to be, it evolved into an essential arena for public argument especially as the old leaders in the American news business slouched into routinely retailing every sort of lie possible about public affairs that matter. And as that happened, Twitter became, for a number of years, mainstream media's enabler and chief enforcer of programmatized truth. So, he says, so far it's hard to fault Mr. Musk's performance just short of one month after taking ownership of Twitter. He acted quickly, to find the locus of rot in the company and swept out thousands of petty tyrannical censors competing for woke brownie points, squashing free inquiry. He explained his actions plainly without ornament in Twitter's own concise format. He laid out his own doubts and quandaries about a moderation board to establish responsible limits of fairness. He put important questions of procedure, such as yesterday's proposed general amnesty for suspended accounts, to a vote. And he did all of this with wry humor based on an appreciation of how absurd Twitter's internal culture had become. Now, James Howard Kunstler says it's hard to overstate how damaging Twitter's dark years of insidiously massaging public opinion have been to this country. Open debate could have been clarified with or could have clarified rather the fog of deliberate disinformation surrounding everything COVID-19. It would have been much harder for public health officialdom to gaslight America over the origin of the disease and probably impossible to conceal the nefarious operations behind the emergency use authorization, the suppression of effective early treatments and the direct ties to drug companies profits. The result of that has been the broad deployment of dangerous and deadly pseudo-vaccines that have killed millions and disabled many more. The absence of honest debate has turned doctors into murderers and accomplices to genocide. So, bottom line here, nothing else so far has confronted the left's crusade to overturn American life as stoutly as Elon Musk's reform of Twitter. James Howard Kunstler says it seems to be working. The wokesters are acting like a gang on the run. Pretty soon they'll be ratting each other out to save their skins. Reality is a harsh mistress, he says, when you've spent years insulting and mistreating her. I just like the fact that uh, the mainstream media is seeing its habitual lying forcefully called out and people actually having fun in the process. But beware, Twitter can also be a pretty big waste of time if you allow yourself, you know, to get pulled in too deeply. This is The Brian Hyde Show.